Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here on Window on the West. My name is Jonathan Watson. I'm here along with Michael Grumbine. Hey. And Dan Co... Oh, oh, Dan isn't here today. Dan Dan has a lot of work. His, uh, he actually works at the Babylon Bee and they've got a, uh, a big event this week. So he is uh, out of sorts and uh, not really even much in town at this point. So um, we're doing this without him. Our Hobbit isn't here. That's right. Well, I mean, in a way, it might be a little appropriate because lots of people fall by the wayside in the near night or are no idea. That, so. <laughs> so he's our first casualty. He's our first casualty of this battle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so with, with him not being here, if you want to leave us a review, you can get, you can dock one star on <laughs> on iTunes or Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, right. wherever, and Google. And since Dan's like, actually no, maybe you give us one extra star since Dan's That's not here. Right. I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Dan, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But yeah, do that. You know, uh, leave a review. We really appreciate those. Uh, gets more people involved. Gets more people in the discussion. Uh, you know, and if you're on watching on YouTube or Rumble, give a thumbs up, like, subscribe. You can become a member. It's five bucks a month on Amazon. You get access to our Discord. You get access to uh, the extended podcast, which we release uh, usually a couple days early uh, through, a, through a link in Discord. And uh, you can actually get uh, custom emojis and custom like little avatars, uh, loyalty badges, I think uh, uh, YouTube calls them, so that when you comment and when we do live streams, eventually you can get all those too. So that's five bucks a month there. Or you can go to thewonder.com slash patron and pay four bucks a month and get all that except for the little emojis. Uh, and uh, it's less because we don't have to pay the YouTube overlords for their 30% pound of flesh. It's so always nice to not to avoid yes. the overlord. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. The less we have to pay them, the better. So <laughs> uh, yeah, go to the com slash patron and, and join up there. So today we're going to go over uh, the Nirnaeth Arnodia, the fifth battle, chapter 20 of the Silmarillion. However, however, even with Dan not here, before we do, we're going to embark on All that is gold does not glitter. So today, Michael, it's on you. I'm sorry, but I think, I think you might succeed. And this could be interesting. Instead of doing quotes, and if you're listening to this here, maybe you should jump over to YouTube or Rumble and uh, check, uh, check the video because we're going, to be, we're going to be identifying the cameos in the Lord of the Rings films, if you can identify them. Rut row. All right. All right. Well, this is a, a in, in, in my faith, this is a day of penitence. So here we go. So. This picture is a picture of a, of a wet sodden man eating a, a carrot in brie and uh i don't yes. know was this the original i think it was only the extended edition maybe maybe it was in the original now i can't remember in any case i only watched the extended edition so exactly so it, the point is moot the other one mm. does not exist <laughs> so so this uh, i do know this one so this is peter jackson it is in, it is in, peter a jackson. cameo in his own films he had i believe two cameos um this yes. was one of them yeah yeah and uh uh i think like okay honestly i will say i kind of hate cameos in films because it takes me out of the movies and i'm like oh look it's peter jackson while well, i'm in the middle of brie and i'm actually already sunken into the story and i see the director and it takes me completely out of the films and i i kind of hate that 
but in this case, I was distracted by the carrot. So the first time I saw it, I didn't notice. <laughs> they dangled the carrot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Literally. Oh, man. That's for better, Who knows? Than, Maybe better we'll than the see, stick. Does, does James Cameron have a double in, uh, in Avatar? Does he get his own cameos? Uh, he's the whale yeah. in the latest one. Oh, he is? Well, he, you know, he compares himself to Tolkien. Well, we'll talk about that in the extended podcast, which, which you can get if you become a member on YouTube or a patron. Well, so, yeah, everyone's comparing themselves to Tolkien these days. It is. Yeah, Vin Diesel, the, the, the great giants of our culture. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, next one. Here we go. These are the kids. So you obviously won't recognize the kids, but two of these kids, I think the middle one, and the, the, the second, the, the boy second from the left, the girl in the middle right here. These are the kids who are right, right, uh, who are cheering for Gandalf's fireworks in the Fellowship of the Ring. I recognize uh, that. And so this girl right here in the middle who with her, with her hands up and her mouth open and this boy over here with his mouth open and his arms down to his sides. Hmm. I'm pretty sure those are the two children of, uh, a cast member or a production person on the lord and you would know who you would know the person obviously it's not like you know the second grip hmm i do not know this one no. okay take a guess of of who they might be whose children these might be <laughs> don't Round tell face, me face curly hair who do you think? yeah i was gonna say don't tell me it's rudy's kids no no she's at the end of uh return of the king actually ah uh, that's okay yeah. these here should i tell you sure Sure, these are Peter Jackson's kids, actually. Oh. Yeah, that's his daughter I thought, and his son. I, I thought, well, should I guess Peter Jackson again? No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you make yeah, me sound yeah. dumb. Yeah. All right, all right. That, I know that one was a little Peter, was Peter a little Jackson's harder. got cute kids. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. Um, all right, next one. This is from the prologue where we see the nine kings uh, with their rings. So nine, nine rings for mortal men doomed to die. Hmm. Uh, and so here, the... Uh, the cameo is actually, let me zoom in on it for you, uh, over here, second from the left, this guy right there, uh, I believe, yep, right here, this guy right here in the middle. Who is that? You may recognize him from some behind the scenes, and he's known not just for his work on the films, but uh, on some Tolkien stuff prior to that too, prior to the films. Uh, that's good. I don't he was, know. He I, was a uh, he was one of the lead artists uh, for. This is Lee. This is Alan Lee. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, that's wow. John Howe. Oh, that's John Howe. Yeah. All right. Right. So I didn't. I didn't actually know that until uh, that's, not too long uh, ago. That's awesome. But he certainly. Looks, I mean, if you look at him, he's got a really good beard going on there. Too. Yeah, he's got a good beard. I mean, is it a? It is. Is it his beard, or did they give it to him? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't get that, mm. that detail. Uh, but it's definitely him. So yeah. Um, I mean, it feels John like a John Howe. Howe. It feels like a John Howe beard. So I, yeah. I'm going to say it's real. That's, at, at least that, it wasn't awesome. front and center. I did like, not uh, know that. Did not uh, know like, that. Like uh, Peter Jackson carrying a carrot. He, they, they stuck him to the side, so he's not quite as distracting. Okay, next one, and and there's there's only two more, and the last one is a bonus. We'll see if we get that one. Well, so the next one here. I'm surprised I got even one. So there's that. This character uh, first appeared in Fellowship of the Ring, and then was also in Return of the King with a line. That was like, uh, my, my lady, where are you going? This is when Arwen is going to uh, the Grey Havens and decides to turn back at, at some point in Return of the King. Uh, and this person has won an Academy Award. And 
This person was part of a comedy duo with a show on HBO. And you got <laughs> the, the name Figwit, F-I-G-W-I-T. <laughs> because There are so many clues I feel like I should know this, but so, I'm, I'm so terrible this, with this uh, stuff. That's all right. That's all right. So this person, he... Um, he uh let's see so apparently somebody in some screening before it was released or something like that uh was 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 saying uh this was in fellowship of the ring where he doesn't have a lot she was like oh man frodo is great and then was and then said who is that when she saw him because you know he's so attractively elven uh but figwit frodo is great fig who is that with wit anyway so, uh, yeah, show a comedy show on HBO. They do touring. He won. He won. Here, get this. He won an Academy Award for writing the music. I believe it was the best best new song for a film for the Muppets. Am I a Muppet or a man? For the Muppet movie that came out like ten years ago, he wrote that. Wow. Song. He wrote all the music for that. I, he is uh, Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it doesn't. Really oh my gosh! Like him, but that's like curlier hair, wow. and you would recognize him probably. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's Brett McKenzie. That's impressive. So he's got uh, he's got Lord of the Rings and the Muppets. Aye, and that's funny. Jermaine Clement has uh, Moana because <laughs> he sings the giant crab in that. So anyway, right. Exactly. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. So I, you know, it's funny. He was really. There, I, I believe there was no Flight of the Concords at this time that was the popular at all when he filmed this in 1999. Uh, and he was a lot younger than he It's the the hair just throws me totally. Yeah. yeah. He does look That's, Elvin though. It's a good look. He does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he has he's All got right. the book the facial structure. Well, I'm 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 getting uh, rolled over on this one. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a I'm it's not okay. a Hollywood. That's that's actually guy. a feather in your cap because you know the books better than you know the films. I know. You see, you see how that works. I, have a, I do have a hard time caring about the movies. <laughs> uh, all right, especially you know the 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 random injections of real life into it that we're supposed to remember who's who and what's what. All right, so mm-hmm. bonus. Here we go. Do you know bonus. who this is? Oh yeah, but that's, is that a Photoshop? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, so this is a guy in some armor with a red kind of cloak around him, red hair. He likes singing songs. Of- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it's um, for heaven's sake. Um, yeah, my all my my daughters yes, lo- right. love him. Um, uh... just, get, 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 just, just hold on. <laughs> All right, if you guys know it, put it in the comments below because you know. Yeah, it's Ed Sheeran. Favorite. It's Ed Sheeran. All right, there you go. Yeah, I, I was like I'm trying to wait, but. So this is not a Photoshop. So no, this is from Game of Thrones. I'm sorry, I had to. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, that's why. It's like the heck. This is not from Lord oh, of the Rings. No, yeah, no, he's not. It's okay. not from Lord of the Rings. He, uh, Lord okay. Of the Rings. I just had to throw it in there because this is not, this is one of the worst cameos ever. Where they do like really him right in the middle of the what? This makes absolute like they didn't even try well, to pretend it was him. He's got the exact so, same everything going on with him here. So at first I thought you were going to throw me a curveball by putting in a Rings of Power, per, and I but I. I knew Ed Sheeran was, but then you, I have to tell you, my honest to goodness thought process was, okay, so I know this guy and I was like trying to remember what the artist's name was. Cause I don't, I don't listen to his music, but, mm-hmm. um, but my, my daughters do. So, so, but I, but, but I was taken by the fact that I'm looking at his outfit. I'm like, that's really good armor. There's no re- way that was in Lord <laughs> Rings of Power. <laughs> so, so this is you not know, Rings of Power. Yeah, and then, I know this, t-shirt. I, and I know this is not the extended edition of Lord of the Rings. And yeah. so I don't know what the heck is going on here. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so, like I said, bonus. But you got, bonus. You got half of it. 
Yeah, okay. uh, so this is this is from Rings of Power. Uh, sorry, this is from. Um, uh, is this from House of the Dragon? No, it's from Game of Thrones. He was in it's the not the prequel, but the okay. Yeah, the original. I don't know. He was in some rando some, rando shot. Random, yeah, I don't remember when. Uh, anyway, well, there you go. So those all right, are some I got the, I got a bon- I got the bonus guy, and I, even though I didn't know which where it was where yeah. it was from, yeah. then there, I got are, Peter Jackson. That's it. There are a bunch of other cameos in uh, the the Lord of the Rings, like uh, you know, producers and second directors. I think Andy Serkis even maybe is he in that one? I can't remember now. Serkis uh, uh, was like, in, was I thought he had a cameo as himself. I mean. Without as, in without not Kong. in mo not in mocap in yeah. the Hobbit. Oh, that's um, true. He did well. He played uh, he played Smeagol. No, no, not just that. I thought there was another oh, in the Hobbit. Did he? Oh, I, uh, so. I don't remember because he he was the second director on that one. Yeah, I, um, I, I but I thought he put himself in one of yeah, the scenes. Like it's like a battle scene, or maybe it was the um, destruction of Lake Town. I thought. Yeah. Anyway, maybe not. Well, anyway. However, let this be. See, if I were that, you, what I would have done is, as the bonus, I would have put the 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 sandworms of Arrakis coming out of the... <laughs> coming out of a mountain. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was <laughs> the sandworms cameo. The <laughs> I don't even think of those movies as existing, so uh, they didn't even I wish, enter my mind. I, I wish I could. I had that strong of an imagination that I could just purge them. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, I just forgot. What are you going to do? But I, right. but they are not allowed in my house. We do not own them. We are not allowed to watch them mm. until my children are adults. Then they can ruin their they, life they can as do much what as they, they want. want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe somebody, maybe one day somebody will take it once. Well, once uh, copyright's gone, which is another right, thing the, we're going to talk right. about in an extended oh, podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. What, we'll hap- hold on what happens when you change stuff like Roald Dahl and his books and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and all those things? Spoiler alert. It doesn't get better. Uh-uh. Not in this world. All right. So let us, let us jump in to chapter 20 uh, of the fifth battle, the Nirnaith Arnoidiad. Mm-hmm. So it's such an odd word, but yes, uh, the battle of unnumbered tears. And so, as always, we will start with Dan's big thoughts. That... <laughs> Oops. Well, he's Speak not up, here, yeah. so I've, I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got a thought this time. One thing that struck me reading this is that, um, well, I have a friend. And this friend, <laughs> when he watches films and movies, um, there are very few shades of gray in his assessment of these uh, films. Either they're the greatest thing ever, or they're they're the uh, the 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 worst thing ever, right? It's and so he he ended up getting the nickname the King of Hyperbole because mm. it wasn't like yeah, it was, the movie was fine. It was like oh, that movie just I just I can say had all these problems and the plot was just ridiculous and the special right everything is really bad or everything is really great. So uh, it's funny because in Tolkien he tends to do the same thing in a way, right? He like w- when we hear about things, it's always the greatest battle ever, the greatest thing ever. And so even with Baron and Luthien, right? It was the um, uh, the greatest uh, the greatest thing to ever happen in uh, 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 that then Elfer man performed, right? The greatest deed. And then here we learn that it was the greatest grief that Melian ever had. And so um, hmm. 
uh, it's funny when he mentions those the, these things there isn't really much of a shade of gray it's like it was a great grief it was a it was the greatest grief and it's not like i went through and i found them all but it struck me that he does that a lot and i'm not saying that's a bad thing i just noticed it and it's a thought right it's a element of myth right you have to have that's the true. height the heights and the depths now what's interesting to me is that for the published works um that he published i don't recall him as as the published works he didn't publish as opposed to those well he <laughs> didn't he didn't publish the silmarillion that we're reading I, right I, well i know i know so all right okay in the lord of the rings and the hobbit is what i mean i don't recall him doing that very much so i think there's probably a filter unless um as it cut you know, in other words you you hmm. see it tremendously in in um the silmarillion especially in the tale of baron and Eluthi. i mean there's so many like the the right. saddest song ever sung uh yeah. for, to uh mando spite luthien and i mean everything is everything is to taken to 11 in that story. And so there's, there's much, um, of the, uh, what's that? Um, so, so the superlative is the yeah, technical the term, the hyperbolic superlative, right? I mean, we, super we have, I just did a quick search in Lord of the Rings. And so we have, uh, Aragorn by, uh, Aragorn, uh, Gandalf calls Aragorn the greatest traveler and huntsman of this age of the world. Uh, hmm. Elrond is the greatest of lore masters. Um, nice uh let's see yeah those are a couple there i could i could find some other uh hyperbolic terms of sorts oh, hyperbolic is the right word but superlative terms um that's fair yeah. all right yeah all right but he does I, that a couple times not not i retract my statement then he does he does do it a little bit but least... is it if, it if it's only like if it's the guy who came in second place is it a story worth reading about anyway right like, <laughs> would we want to hear about the second greatest traveler ever in the, <laughs> the huntsman in the age of the world he was bested by this guy but this story is the one we're going to talk about that's right he's the also around the bronze medal for hunting yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> so all right so so that that was a thought but let's get through this battle um it, it's well, kind of, well, the tale ahead. starts actually by finishing up with Baron and Luthien, which is right. always interesting to me because we just read about the tale of Baron and Luthien, but for some reason Christopher Tolkien puts the end of that tale in the first paragraph of the fifth battle, which is odd because it literally doesn't have anything to do with the fifth battle. So I've always wondered why. Why does he like this whole paragraph? The whole opening paragraph should just be in the end of the last. Yeah chapter it's got literally nothing to do with with um the, the near night or, or not yet yeah the only thing that i can think of and i didn't find any evidence to back this up is that this is how tolkien actually separated it when he started writing it right at, at there in his manuscripts there was a separation hmm. this is where he could started be the yeah. battle of the, the fifth battle because the only is there anything in here no even even i was like oh but he mentions dior and dior's in no he's not in the, the battle here so no yeah it is an odd it is an odd start uh yep. but it, but it's it's um when if when i first read uh the the silmarillion i was like oh nobody ever saw baron and luthien after they came back from the dead and the second read through i was like no 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 wait they did see him because that's when melian they went to doriath mm -hmm. and melian realizing that she will never see her daughter again in the circles of this world because as a maya right she would be able to go to valinor and the halls of mandos and all that sort of stuff right uh, but she like she's she'll be gone she doesn't know right that the the um unknown of the gift of men 
is hers and that probably bothers her because she doesn't know what to expect for her daughter anymore. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And so it's an interesting effect. Like it's, it's a different kind of grief than we would have as, you know, as, as, as a Christian, as a believer that there is more than this life that we are here for. Uh, but there's the hope of, of the future, right? There's the, the hope of the eternal. And so for her, she kind of lost that hope, I think. Mm-hmm. And hence, the, then you get the superlative that you mentioned, that yes. no, gr- no grief or loss has been heavier than the grief of Millie and the Maya in that hour. Yeah. yeah. So, yep, it is. I mean, Tolkien, I think, is just emphasizing the difference. You know, there's, there's something so mysterious about the gift of death to men. And it goes beyond just the fact that they don't know where they go. But in the case of Luthien, it creates its own tragedy amongst her, between her and her mother, where all of a sudden she's separated from her by fate. And, and, and her mother has no, knows there's, there's no loss. And, but you're, there's no way she's going to see her again. And, and but there's also um, your memory that you had of no one ever spoke to him is not unfounded because it says no mortal man ever spoke ever again with Baron son of Bera here. And none saw Baron or Luthien leave the world or marked where at last their bodies lay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's no men that speak with Baron. So it's interesting because this is entirely, um, but from the elves then, because there's, there's no, it's interesting because Baron and Luthien have become both mortal. I mean, Baron was already mortal, but he's been brought back to life. Mm-hmm. And Luthien has become mortal, brought back to life and become mortal. Um, so it's interesting. They never, as far as we know, they never leave uh, Tol Galen, right? Tol Galen. Right. As far as we know. So they, even though Dior is the heir to Thingol and ends up taking the throne, they never... Tol, Tol Galen, right? Tol Galen, yeah. Um they never, they never, re, they never return to Doriath, as far as we know. I think it says they go to Doriath, but yet after, after that, they after that, yes, yeah. yes, and and one would think that they didn't go back to Doriath ever again because that's because otherwise the the thought of Melian wouldn't be oh, have been true. true. Yes, good point, good point. All right, so there you go, the end of the tale of Baron and Luthien in this chapter. Other we couldn't is... get away from Baron and Luthien. We yeah, we just we were sucked right. back in. All right, but now begins the beginning of the end of the doom of the true doom of the Noldor. And it starts with the only one of Fionor's sons to have any sort of nobility, which is Mithros. Which if you'll remember, he's the guy who did not partake in the burning of the ships at Lascar. And, not... and he was pinned to a cliff by Morgoth and had to have his hand chopped off. So he has one, this whole one handed thing is a, is to, 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 <laughs> Tolkien like, yeah, seems to like it. He could be cam lost too. <laughs> It'd be uh, Maedhros cam lost. That's right. Um, so, so it begins with him trying to... So he's hardened by the fact that um, Baron and Luthien have pulled off the stealing of a Silmaril from Morgoth. Or I, should, I should say the recovery, not the stealing, yeah. because Morgoth didn't own him. And so um, hardened by that, he tries to build a force to, to actually um, take on Morgoth's armies assault. and assault, assault Angband uh, through a, a kind of trickery or strategy where, whereby he can first destroy Morgoth's armies and then, and then assault. And then what's interesting is, is how they, is how Tolkien phrases his, his response to what he thinks he can do with uh, Morgoth. Now Morgoth was not on the table. He lifted up his heart. Mm -hmm. There's, I, I'm not sure how to interpret that exactly. He, 
he had more than just a a, a, a logical understanding of the situation. Like he, he felt it more than he thought. I'm not sure what it means. He lifted up his heart, perceiving that Morgoth was not unassailable. Did, you, did that strike you as interesting at all? I couldn't, I, I just don't know where to go with that. I didn't, I didn't actually notice that lifting up of his heart thing. I mean, I, I read it, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't anyway, remarked it's, on it. I, I'm not, I'm, uh, I, he would probably be the only son of Feanor to lift up his heart because he still had one. Uh, whereas, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's Kelligorm, Griffin, all those, all those guys. Yeah, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to give them the time of day anymore. All right. So let's move on <laughs> from that. Um, so, so we were given an accounting essentially of the gathering of the armies who was there and who wasn't there. So essentially in, of the Noldor, Fingon, son of now slain Fingolfin is the high king. And so all of the Noldor to the, um, west, which are in the lands of Heathlam, of the west of Angband. Uh, they gather up their forces. To the south of them, Nargothrond is an elven stronghold, but nobody comes from Nargothrond. So they're, yeah. they're not, except um, one small group, uh, Gwyndor, son of Gwilin, a very valiant prince. Sadly, very valiant and also Hot prone hated. to madness prince. Um, but for because his brother Gelmir was lost in the Dagor Dagor, mm-hmm. which we'll see, it's used yeah. against him. So, 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 so let's yep. remember though the reason that we don't have anybody from Nargothrond coming, and it's only uh, Gwyndor, son of Gwilin, and a small company, is because of course Kelgorm Kufrin and all the crap that they did to to get rid of uh, Finrod. Uh, Finrod. Finrod. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yep, and they turned the people against him, and then the people of of uh, Nargothrond then basically um, became isolated. They self isolated, and and uh, so so no one except um, no one except this one prince with a small company leaves, yeah. and that uh, th- that holds true because then Thingol does the same, right? He he's angry at the sons of Feanor, the same ones. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to send anybody else out either, even though, you know, uh, uh, Melian counseled Thingol to actually give up the Silmarillion and uh, the Silmaril and not keep it for him. But every day that he looked upon the Silmaril, the more he decided, desired to keep it forever, for such was its power. So this is one of, I found, four major parallels with events that happens in Lord of the Rings with this. This is... This is one. This is a parallel with the ring itself, of course. Mm-hmm. That the longer you have it in your keeping, and the more you look upon it, the more you desire it for yourself. So, so the Silmarils and and the One Ring have a strong parallel. There's this idea of an item of power when held to oneself and kept for oneself. You 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 begin to hoard it more and more. Um, that Tolkien is tapping into. Yeah, um, which we we did talk about. Uh, it was it an extended podcast last week or the week before where we talked about like how, what is the, how how similar and how different are the Silmarils and the and the One Ring, and we won't get into that, get right. into that here. So they're they're missing Nargothrond. They can't get Thingol. Turgon is uh, hidden, and they're right. So totally so they similar. don't they don't know they don't know what's going on with him. So yeah. they have nothing from him at least at the moment. So the three great kingdoms essentially are like uh, nope, don't don't think we're gonna help. Well, at least to them, they, they don't think they're not getting those. And so, but Maedra still pushes forward. Yeah, I, I would count 
um, the the El the Noldor in the east as a, their own kingdom. They kind of well, rule them, rule like themselves. The and, and Kyrdan, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, there's that too. Actually, no, I was talking about the elves. Mythros is um, Mythros and his brothers that dwell in the oh, east. Sorry, east, not the west. Yes, correct. I count them as different from the elves of Mith- of Mithrin, who are in with Fingon. So you have Fingon and his kingdom in Mithrim, or Heathlum, I should say, and including Mithrim. Mm-hmm. And then you have on the map that's that if you're y'all are looking at the youtube or the video it's the area around lothlan essentially and that uh, has all the remaining sons of and that's in the east has all the remaining sons of Fionor. right so those are the two kingdoms that are going to go and they're going to pull off this pincer move of a kind they're going to try to draw out angband's forces into yeah. the into the plain of ardgallen and they are going to crush them between the two armies. They're, that's their idea. Um, and it is specifically mentioned that both armies, both uh, elves of the East, Noldor of the East and Noldor of the West, have men, allies in, among, among the men that they bring with them, um, and of the various tribes of men, and it goes into some detail. And then, interestingly, Mithros in the East also has the friendship and help of the Nalgrim or the dwarves and it much is made of the dwarven male and their warriors. Um, and so they come from Nagrod and Belagost, the two dwarven kingdoms. So there's a force of dwarves as well with, uh, with Mithros and his Eastern, his Eastern Noldor. And then there's also uh, green elves. Apparently there's some of those. So anyway, from Assyrian down there. Yeah. And then also probably. some men, Right, men from that area, and also men from Forest of Brethil, and the men that dwell in Heathlum with the Noldor. Yeah. So they start this, ba- or they, they they move forward, right? And um, I, I, it it's I get does it, it bothers me a little bit that the men are kind of the turning point to all this sort of stuff still, and I understand now why they have why uh, why Thingol seems to uh, distrust them but it's the men right it's like the the, the men from uh, the haladin of uh, the the from the house of halith who if you remember was the woman who saved her people um as they retreated from the uh from the uh, dimbar the ergogoroth as they made their way westward mm-hmm. essentially around doriath and they they settled in the forest of brethel right which is which is right here uh so so the elves the men um the uh, the the dwarves, they, uh, as Tolkien writes, on the appointed day on the morning of midsummer, the trumpets of the Eldar greeted the rising. Oh, did you want to say something else? No. Okay. On the appointed day on the morning of midsummer, the trumpets of the Eldar greeted the rising of the sun, and in the east was raised the standard of the sons of Feanor, and the west. So in the east, right here, the standard of the sons of Feanor over here, and in the west, uh, over here, Lothlan, Ardgarlan, right uh, over here, and in the west, uh, the standard of Fingon, the High King of the Noldor, over here, right? Like you were saying, the pincer move. To come in to Angband, uh, but but Morgoth knew what he was doing because uh, he already had, uh, like I said, he had he had uh, deceived the men or he had brought them to his side, and so the guile of Uldor the Accursed deceived him with false warnings of an assault from Angband. So that means that Maedhros didn't make haste to 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 do battle. Right, he was holding back because he thought there was going to be a pincer move on him coming from the rear. Uh, and boy, this is like, uh, this is the most I've ever gotten into this, the, the details of this battle, because 
looking at it on a map and reading it through the, the stories is like the only way to really truly understand what's going on. But it's at this point when Maedhras, um, um uh, like deceived him, right? And so uh, uh, Fingon realized he wasn't coming. Uh, oh, Ma- Ma- Maedhras did not deceive him. Maedhras was Ma- deceived. Maedhras, Ma- right, exactly. Sorry, I misspoke. Uh, Turgon uh, opened the Leaguer of Gondolin and come forth with an army 10,000 strong with bright mail and long swords and spears like a forest. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to say what he shouted, but the, he essentially said, the day has come. Behold, people of the Eldoran, fathers, men, the day has come. Which, when you think of it, it's like 10,000 people in Gondolin in this one city. It's got to be a pretty big city if that's just the people going to battle. Uh, it still struck me as, um, it's hard to imagine how large Gondolin is, even with some of the imagery that we have that's beautiful from Ted Nasmith. Um, Utuli and Aure. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. you know, the day has come. That's, that's a beautiful saying. Yeah. So this is when I think we need to, to, to talk about what really, well, do we want to get into Gelmir? Because that's pretty brutal. Gelmir. So, yeah, we, well, we have to. So what I, I did have an interesting thought where, you know, Sauron sends his forces out from Angben and they go to the west. So they go towards Ithil Syrian. And what's important is that the all of the Noldor of Fingon have holed up in Ithil Syrian. And they're not their idea is we're not going to go out and be tempted by the by the army we're right. going to wait for, for them to come to us so that when Mithros finally does come they'll be, the army will be crushed between the hammer and anvil they being the anvil probably and so they're going to stay there and so Morgoth sends his army out and he there's this funny phrase where he says he sends them out dressed in dun um so that they're and with no naked steel and so that there's no they they aren't seen for a long time and i just i thought of mm. like I thought of like the actually the orcs from Rings of Power, where they're they're sort of all in this color. Where if you you imagine um, at this point, Ardgallen is all destroyed, and so and so there's there, it just looks like it's like a wasteland. So if they dress in the color of the the wasteland itself, they would be hard to see for a while. Yeah. But anyway, they, yeah. they eventually show themselves, and the. Um, captain, it says specifically, but the captain of Morgoth in the West had been commanded to draw out Fingon swiftly from his hills by whatever, whatever means he could. He marched on, therefore, until the front of his battle was drawn up before the stream of Syrian from the walls of the forest of Ithil Syrian to the inflowing of Rivel at the fen of Sarek. Sarek. Um, so anyway, he does, in fact, um, bring out this the 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 one of the uh, the other son of Gwilin. So this is an elf of Nargothrond, a prince of Nargothrond that has been captured, and proceeds to do horrible things to him. And this is where I saw the second parallel. Um, the horrible things he does, he he cuts off his arms, his feet, and then eventually decapitates him in front of it turns out his brother, which which is what leads to the flaw in the plan. But before we get to the flaw, uh, this was the second parallel that I saw between this mm. battle and the Lord of the Rings, actually the second and third. So in the Lord of the Rings, Sauron specifically sends out an army, a great army, but not his greatest, to assault Minas Tirith. In this, in this um, war, he sends out his, a great army, but not his greatest, to draw, to attack the elves and hopefully draw them in um and so and then when and, and then he taunts them um if you remember in lord of the rings um when they come before the gates of uh the black gate where uh, behind which lies the greatest of his armies he he's taunted the heralds um the herald of sauron in this case the mouth of sauron taunts aragorn and gandalf and the company with tokens of their friends right. and in this case 
Um, there's a parallel where Morgoth's uh, heralds taunt um, the elves hmm. with their friend, literally in this case, um, their kin, and proceed to do horrible um, to 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 slay him in front of them in a horrible way. And so, um, in both cases, it spurs a reaction, although not although very different uh, kind of reaction in each case. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And not only that, like in, in similar, didn't they also uh, go ahead? I just say in similar narrative element. Tolkien's using a similar narrative element, which for him, it, it's not a it's not a flaw. It's not a bug. It's a feature because for him, everything um, that came before it echoes into the future. And so the right. the fact that there are similarities between tactics, of Morgoth and Sauron, is is no accident. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that sets Gwyndor off. And as Tolkien writes, his math, his math, his wrath <laughs> was kindled to madness. There we go. And he leapt forth on horseback. And essentially, at this point, all the host of the Noldor was, as Tolkien says, set on fire. And they all jumped forward. And they got all the way to the gates of Angband. Like, they, they, they made it. Well, Great. No- and not only did they make it, they just absolutely laid waste to Sauron's yeah. second best, ar- I mean, sorry, Morgoth's second best army. So, so they just, they did, and in fact, it almost backfired against Morgoth. He just wasn't, I don't think he was expecting that much. Of, so the elves, this is, these are all the elves from the West. So this is the mm-hmm. heathen elves led by Fingon yeah, yeah. and the, the small company from Nargothrond. So, so, um, and interestingly, Tyrion, uh, sorry, not Tyrion, uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, elves from Gondolin do not show up, do not, do not, are not part of this attack. They've stayed behind. Um, as and, they were supposed to. As they were supposed to, guarding as they were supposed to. So the elves, but but all of uh, Fingon's army um, ends up at the gates of Angband and actually blasts through the gates. And they, they break it. They actually break the gates down and they enter into the in the passages leading down into the tunnels in Angband. And it says specifically... Um, that let me just see here is it morgoth trembled upon his deep throne yep and they burst through the gate and slew the guards upon the very stairs of angband and morgoth trembled upon his deep throne hearing them beat upon his doors which again a reminder that morgoth is morgoth is not a courageous uh being he's he's trembled before fingolfin he's trembled before the the elves at the gates He's he he he'll fight if he feels he has to, but he is no he's no um, <laughs> he's no alpha warrior in that sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and but at this point, they the, the, they realize, uh, oh, we went too far. Our phalanx drove too too deep because at right. this point, um, they are captured, uh, and uh, uh, the phalanx of the card. Okay. Um, is it here? I'm trying. I'm, this is there's. This is so complex. But at what point does Morgoth release the rest of his army? It's right here, right? Yes. yes. So, so he, he says, said, "By yep. many secret doors in Thangorodrum, Morgoth had let issue forth his main host that he held in waiting, and Fingon was beat back with great loss from the walls." So you have to re- recognize that what's going on here is there's a kind of a funnel at the at the top uh, at the gates of Angband, where they go in, they break through the gates, but then they enter into this secondary area. Right. Um, and on the zoom in, it's above the word data loth yeah. um, under door, door data loth. And so they, the, their, their forces have kind of been funneled through, they've broken through gates and then they're, they're at the stairs um, in the tunnels. And then Morgoth 
basically releases all of his armies from the entire range, or at least the front part of the range, and by secret tunnels. So they surround the elves, and this is their main host. So the elves at this point, who have been fighting for days, I believe, actually. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a short, uh, a short distance. I mean, we're talking miles and miles and miles and miles of fighting. Uh, Yes, because I quote, then in the plain of Angfoglyph, on the fourth day of the war, there began the near ninth Arnoidi at unnumbered tears. So this is, they've been fighting for three days across the whole plain and just blowing through his army. So the elves have been fighting for three days. So this is not, so in other words, if, if our readers or listeners remember how, unbelievably unstoppable the Noldor were against the armies of Morgoth, which appear to be mostly orcs and trolls at this point, um, then you they might think, you know, okay, so they just blew through one army and then a second army surrounds them. So that's going to be hard fighting, but how come they don't just sweep through that army too, or at least not have as much trouble? And the answer is, I think, when I'm thinking about it from a military historian perspective, they've been fighting for three days and through an entire army. And then they be all of a sudden become surrounded on all sides and our army far greater than they ever uh, could imagine pours forth from Angband. So they almost go down in that and they, and they fight um, all day for the fourth day and all the next day. So they fought, they fight now for two more days of straight fighting, being pressed upon all sides and going, getting basically, um, driven up to these into the, uh, some hills, and then they're um, the they are relieved by the army of Turgon from Gondolin, who has come across the plains during those uh, three days, and like a river of steel in the sun, as it says, and he um, he uh, breaks through and he meets his brother. Says his Turgon brother of Fingon, and that's my final parallel there's the the meeting of turgon and fingon and I, it says <clears throat> now the phalanx of the guard of the king broke through the ranks of the orcs and turgon hewed his way to the side of his brother and it is told that the meeting of turgon and with is told that the meeting of turgon with hurin who stood beside fingon was glad in the midst of the battle so sorry turgon and, and hurin um so remember, Hurin has, has lived in Gondolin. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so that reminded me, like the two armies, one beleaguered and one breaking through with fresh forces and then a glad meeting on the field of battle with much battle to, to ahead of them reminded me very strongly of the meeting of Aomer and Aragorn on, uh, uh, on the plain in front of Minas Tirith when Aomer mm. is beleaguered and is losing and is going to be destroyed and then Aragorn appears from the river with his, a fresh army of soldiers, not undead green men as, <laughs> as in the movies, but actual soldiers of Gondor mm-hmm. and, yeah. and um, relieves him and their, their meeting is glad upon the field of battle. So, so there's, there's another, there's that parallel. And it's at this point too, that Maedhras comes. Yes. And then Maedhras, so now, now you have three armies of elves and now it looks like even this massive, unbelievably huge army is not going to, they're, they're going to, they're going to turn the tide. They're going to win. And then Morgoth plays his final card, which is all the uglies, the wolves, so, the wolf riders, the Balrogs, the dragons and Glaurung. Right. So, yeah. so you have all the, so presumably we didn't have any Balrogs or dragons and maybe not works. many many wolves orcs and trolls i would i would believe mm-hmm. um 
but let's remember too that Tolkien Tolkien wrote that it wasn't the wolves or the Balrogs or the dragons that won the battle. It was the treachery of men. Of men, yeah. Because of Ulfang, uh, who attacked Maedhros from the rear. He went over to suddenly to Morgoth and drove upon the rear of the sons of Feanor. Uh, and in that confusion, they wrought, they came near to the standard of Maedhros at that point. So, uh, and I love that. <laughs> Uh, we'll find this later, but I'll say that like they were uh, the, the the what they were given was essentially uh, their their big reward for being on uh, Morgoth's side that we learn is they got to chase the uh, the bedraggled women and uh, the the leftover elves in Heathlum, the old, uh, the, the young, old, yeah. the the children and the women. Yeah, so, they got and and, and they got pent up. They so these these betrayers, Morgoth gave them a land, but it wasn't the one that they wanted. It was mm-hmm. a harsher land. It was the land of Heathlum, the land of mist and shadow, and and forbade them to leave. So we find that out near the end. But in the meantime, we have the beasts. The beasts have come from Thangoradrim. And um, so Balrogs, dragons, wolves, and it, they make a lot of Glaurung. And it turns out Glaurung has become larger and fiercer, stronger, and he withers is the word that Tolkien used. He withers all before him, elf and man. Turns out what you need to fight Glaurung? Dwarves. Dwarves. With the with the war masks. Pretty awesome. So you know, I, this is something we're missing in 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 all the battles of Middle Earth is we saw okay. I don't count the freaking end of the Hobbit movie. But mm. like dwarves in battle frenzy against something like a dragon, I would I would pay money to see that. I would. Really yeah, that this this that. would be a fantastic uh, movie to order. You know, scene from a movie, and so we so we we do have to read it. And it says it said last of all the eastern forests to stand firm were the dwarves of Belagost. So that's the southern kingdom of the dwarves, and thus they won renown. For the Nalgrim withstood fire more heartily than either elves or men, and it was their custom, moreover, to wear great masks in battle, hideous to look upon. And those stood them in good stead against the dragons. And but for them, Glaurung and his brood would have withered all that was left of the Noldor. But the Nalgrim made a circle about him when he assailed them, and even his mighty armor was not full proof against the blows of their great axes. And when in his rage Glaurung turned and struck down Azagal, lord of Belagos, and crawled over him. With his last stroke, Azagal drove a knife into his belly and so wounded him that he fled the field, and the beasts of Angband in dismay followed after him. Then the dwarves raised up the body of Azagal and bore it away, and with slow steps they walked behind, singing dirges and deep voices, uh, dirge and deep voices, as it were a funeral pomp in their country, and gave no more heed more to their foes, and none dared to stay them. So there's a funny, I mean, funny in a one, not haha funny, but funny scene, right? Because the only thing to stand against the dragons is uh, that is that successfully is the dwarves and not only they stand against him but the lord of belagos deeply wounds glaurung and glaurung flees and all the beasts go with him so you got the wolves and the other dragons that flee with him and and it says that the dwarves also fought off other dragons as well because yeah. it said glaurung and his brood so the dwarves do this monster task and then they take their king and they sing a song and leave they leave <laughs> which is kind of weird if you think about it. Although, I mean, in a way, it's like once, once, once the dragon and and the other beasts are gone from the you know the the eastern front, they kind of more or less have won most of that battle. 
Almost. Right. That's what I picture. So I pick. I also picture them like that whole flank being overwhelmed by beasts, and the dwarves fought them off, and the beasts flee. And so in this wreckage and whirlwind of everything fleeing, the dwarves just take their king and leave to yeah. bury him. But what's interesting is there's still battle raging in other parts. So the dwarves are, are an interesting um, story here because they aren't, they don't fight to the end. They don't do what the men do. We're about to hear what happens with the men. And it's not, this is not, so, so the men and the elves are of a closer kinship than the dwarves and the elves. This is very clear. Even mm-hmm. the dwarves fight valiantly and in fact drive off Glaurung. So. And it's in, it's in the West that the Balrogs have come. Mm-hmm. And Maybe we can take a little bit of a, a detour here to talk about Balrogs a little bit, because one of the right. things that always bothered me a little bit about the uh, portrayal of Balrogs from Peter Jackson's films was their size. They are giants. They're huge. They're kaiju. They're monsters, right? And I don't think Tolkien ever meant them to be that large. Certainly, perhaps they could grow that large. But in this battle, for instance, like it's a battle with axes, and, and it takes two... Uh, Balrogs to take down uh, uh, Bingon. Bingon. Yeah. Yep. So um, I don't know. Like, uh, that, I well, originally, you originally, to the way Tolkien describes the Balrog and in his text, the Balrog is actually about thir- 13 to 15 feet tall. He's no, not, really? okay. he's not, he's not a, he's not a, um, He's not a kaiju. Yeah. So, so, which is the theme of our last two episodes has been kaiju. So if you don't know what a kaiju is, think of Godzilla. Right. So, so this is not, so the Balrog, which by the way, I actually gave props and still do to Peter Jackson's portrayal of the Balrog. I see its size in, and the way he's portrayed as something which is, although not explicitly the way Tolkien describes it, it creates, in a visual medium like a movie, it creates the right kind of fear. See, you remember Legolas is is almost completely unnerved by just the sight of the Balrog. I think it's the only time we see an aye-aye in the uh, the books. He basically screams. (laughs) So... So there had to to get that same visual effect in a, in a medium like a movie. You have to. I think I think Jackson did a good job. I, I have no no qualms about that. But in as far as the mechanics of him fighting, the the Balrog, while about twice the height of a man, was oh, Balrogs were about twice the height of a man or elf. Mm-hmm. They weren't they weren't these you know thirty to fifty foot monsters. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it takes two Balrogs to take down Fingon. Right. Um, and at that point, and of which one of them is the captain of all the Balrogs, it's Gothmog. Exactly. So he's fighting Gothmog and, and apparently to a standstill at least. And then another Balrog comes from behind and uh, gets Fingon yeah. with a and whip. And it's in this Western Front, it's, it's like the inverse of what happened to Glaurung happens here, whereas they've, uh, yep. they've killed the, the High King of the Noldor. Uh, and so at that point, the very next sentence after, thus fell the High King of the Noldor. And they brutal, and they beat him into dust with their maces and his banner, blue and silver. They trod into the mire of his blood, and then the very next, the field was lost. We lost mm. our king. The field was lost and yep. bloody. Uh, and it's at this point that um, the main characters that we will come to know, or their offspring come to know, in the next chapter of uh, Hurin and Hura and the remnant of the House of Hatter stood firm with Turgon of Gondolin, and so they battle. And Hurin tells Turgon to leave. I'm gonna, I'm gonna essentially secure ret- your retreat, 
that you go on. And Tur uh, uh, Hurin has an interesting insight now. Right? He has foresight in the same way that right. he, Melian it's a, did. It's a prophecy, really. Yeah, it's a prophecy. He says, if it stands, uh, if, if Gondolin stands but a little while, then out of your house shall come the hope of elves and men. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again from you and from me. Kind of prideful. Hmm. <laughs> a new star shall arise. Farewell. A new star, which... Of course, we will see what that ends up being. But it's at this point, Maeglin, the son of Aeol, right? My, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the dark correct. elf who, uh, who uh, Arithel was his wife, uh, he stood by hearing these words and did not forget them, but he said nothing. Uh, I mean, Maeglin's, yeah, Ma Maeglin's is a, is a like, He's dun, dun, dun. Yeah, right. It's, the, <laughs> it's not the, uh, it's not the, 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 um, it's not like Kelligorm's smile, but it's this silence and dread that he's like, okay, I'm yep. going to have to do something. And we'll find out what he does uh, in the fall of Gondolin. Uh, and so at this point, Turgon leaves. Uh, Hurin and Hur are secure their feet, and they think Hurin and Hur are lost. So they, and if you want to pull up the map, sure. I, had to, I had to sort of visualize this as I was, so... Turgon with the elves of Gondolin and some of them, the remaining warriors from Heathlam, from Fingon's army, go through. They they're they're going they're moving southwest away from Angband, and they until they reach the river um, Revel. So the Fen of Sarek, and and the river Revel is is where the men make their stand, and they cover for the elves. So the elves follow the the. Um, the the river down through the pass mm -hmm. while the men um hold the rear guard at the river uh Revel, at the top of the river Revel. and so um the elves then escape past toll syrian and then into the mountains and back to gondolin so they kind of curve they go southwest down through the pass and they curve around and disappear into the mountains so southwest other other way i think I'm right over here yeah. Yep. So they disappear into the mountains. Uh, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's the top of ri the river, river Revel. Had the stream of the river. No, it's just the stream. So, so yeah, the elves disappear into the mountains and they make their way back to Gondolin. So Turgon and his forces survive um, this day. And the men do not. So Huor and Hurin um, uh, continue the fighting retreat until finally, with their backs against the river, they decide to move no more. And there's this on this great sort of Beowulfian scene yeah. um, where um, Huor first is killed with a venomed arrow in his eye. Oh, I love that. The... Sorry. The particular, it's not, he wasn't just killed. Like Tolkien was like, he killed him in the eye. Like that's cinematic. Like, and, and, it, and I mean, if you take an arrow into the eye, I don't think it needs to be venom to kill you, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, oh, no. Tolkien feels the need to make it a venom arrow as well. So, and then all of the men of Hardar. So everyone dies until we're just down to Hurin. And he cast aside his shield. Last of all, Hurin stood alone. Then he cast aside his shield and wielded an axe two-handed. I love this scene, man. And it is sung that the axe smoked in the black blood of the troll guard of Gothmog. So you, you have this Gothmog just sort of standing back and sending in his, his troll guard. Until it withered, that's the axe. And each time he slew, Hurin cried, Aure and Tuluva, day shall come again. Seventy times he uttered that cry. So he took down 70 trolls I know. <laughs> with an axe. That's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. And that's uh, that's like at least a 10-minute battle scene from a, in a movie. But they took him at last alive by the command of Morgoth. 
for the orcs grappled him with their hands, which clung to him, though he hewed off their arms, and ever their numbers were renewed until the last he fell buried beneath him. Then this Gothmon- whole scene is asking for like the HBO treatment. Let's brutal exactly. just to see. Like I would. Oh man. Oh, as an HBO Max special, this would <laughs> just this scene. Let's just this. see the scene of of who are yeah. in and who are fighting. And I guess oh, it, it's it's sad and you, you know, there's no hope at the end of this. But man, what a great scene! But this is the essence of the Anglo. I mean, this is Anglo-Saxon. This is a Beowulf scene yeah. to its max, yeah. which is that there is no hope. You will die. And you will, but you, the, the question is, how will you die? And the hero dies like warriors do. And they, well, in this case, he doesn't. That's the sad part is that Morgoth wants to torture him and he does. But, but um, in his final scene, which should have been his death, his, his, his death scene, um, he, he goes down killing unbelievable amounts of, of, of uh, foes, taking them with him. Yeah. Man, and we'll 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 meet Huron again. In fact, it is later. So at this point, uh, Morgoth, right? He's mm-hmm. he won essentially. The Eldar are now scattered. Uh, Feanor's kids have no more kingdoms. They are they took to a wild and woodland life beneath the feet of Arid Linden, mingling with the Green Elves. So way if you look at the map here, uh, right? Arid Linden, right? Uh, Linden, Linden, Linden. Uh, all the way see, down. Keep all the going. Way down. Keep going. There it is. Oh, there it is. Parentheses. Sorry, yeah. I just wasn't do it. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, right here, Linden. There. Sorry, right below Assyrian. <laughs> uh, I mean, all the way from up here, right? There's no more Maedhras up here. There's nothing here. They just retreat hundreds of miles all the way down to Linden, right. um, and they've got nothing left, right? What like what Feanor said, which is like he knew Morgoth would never. They'd never be able to beat him. As right. like his children would never be able to beat him, and now not only have they haven't beaten him, they've been destroyed completely. Yep. So they're completely. I mean, most of they're gone from most of Balerion. Um, they're just in the bottom southeast corner of Balerion now, huddling them with the Green Elves. All the other Elven strongholds and lands and lands of men are are um, swept over, over in time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, first Heathlum, and then all the lands around Doriath. Doriath hasn't gone down yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Gondolin, of course, is a hidden hidden him in the mountains, and so he doesn't. Um, Morgoth doesn't know where it is, and so that's gone. But he's taken everything. He doesn't know where Nargothrond is, so so that's still a haven. But that's it. No lands around Nargothrond are owned. And then finally, the elves of um, uh, Brethumbar and Eglarest, which are Cirdan's elves at the co- on the coast. There, they have if you if. Our, our listeners remember they had walled cities on the coast, which had withstood Morgoth's armies in the past. Not so this time. Morgoth brings um, smiths and masters of fire, and they blow the walls apart. Also, a parallel to the uh, Battle of Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. where great the wall... engines, he says. Yes, Tolkien hated the engines. Yes, he did. So Círdan um, takes the remnants of his people into the Bay of Balar, the island of Balar, which is down at the bottom southwest of the map so the elves are just uh, basically aside from doriath and the two cities of nargothrond and um gondolin the elves are have been completely um blown out of beleriand and the men it's all morgoth he he's one he owns everything but he is not happy and i quote now the thought of morgoth dwelt ever upon turgon for turgon had escaped him of all his foes 
that one whom he most desired to take or destroy. And that was interesting because I didn't realize that when the first time I was written, like, why does he care about Turgon? Like, Turgon's just the son of Fingolfin, who's, who, I mean, so what? Second son, big deal. Of all the elves, you're not going to, you're, you care most about this, but it gives us insight into the life of Morgoth. So flashback to Morgoth back in Valinor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and most of all his kin, Morgoth feared Turgon, for of old in Valinor, his eye had lighted upon him, and whenever he drew near, a shadow had fallen on his spirit, foreboding that in some time that yet lay hidden from Turgon, ruin should come to him. That's mm. him being Morgoth. Yeah. So, <laughs> Which is a parallel to what Hurin told Tuor, or exactly. Hurin told Turgon. Perhaps a joined prophecy. So, yeah. so, so they... The prophetic spirit is so Morgoth himself. He, he really wants to get at Turgon, so he decides to torture Hurin, the the um, the Rambo-like character um, who who just did his Beowulfian last stand. And um, there is, it is said briefly in here, in this in Silmarillion. But actually, my favorite passage from the Unfinished Tales is the expounding of what I'm about to read in brief. Therefore, Hurin, Hurin was brought before Morgoth, for Morgoth knew that he had the friendship of the king of Gondolin. But Hurin defied him and mocked him. Then Morgoth cursed Hurin and Morwen and their offspring and set a doom upon them of darkness and sorrow. And taking Hurin from the prison, he set him in a chair of stone upon a high place of Thangoradrim. There he was bound by the power of Morgoth. And Morgoth, standing near him, beside him, cursed him again, again and he said, Sit there now, now there, and look out upon the lands where evil and despair shall come upon those whom thou lovest. Thou hast dared to mock me and question the power of Melkor, master of the fates of Arda. Therefore with my eyes thou shalt see, and with my ears thou shalt hear, and never shalt thou move from this place until all is fulfilled into its better end. And even so it came to pass. But it is not said that Hurin ever asked of Morgoth either mercy or death for himself or for any of his kin. So that's a dramatic statement, right? But it's even better in the unfinished tales when we hear the actual dialogue between Morgoth and yeah. Hurin. So maybe we can, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about the end of this chapter, but I thought at the very end, we could read that that passage. I have it pulled up between um, between Morgoth and Hurin um, from the unfinished tales. Yeah, if you have it. It's pretty yeah, awesome. Let's go there. I mean, we let's close with that. The one thing that struck me here is that uh, by command of Morgoth, they gathered all the bodies up and they put them in a great pile and they put them in the midst of the Enfalglyph. And even though it was meant to be probably like a sign, a warning against all the people, uh, all the elves coming to them, what happens to that hill of hill of slain, as it's called? Mm -hmm. Grass came there and grew again, long and green, alone in all the desert that Morgoth had made. And no creature of Morgoth trod thereafter upon the earth beneath which the swords of the Eldar and the Edain crumbled into rust. And I love that, like, even there, like, I think that's like Iluvatar, like, going like, no, uh, uh, no, yep. no, well, no, my hand is still here. There is still good, and you cannot, even in death, there is good in these here. We're going to, I'm going to remind you. You put this out in front of you as a reminder to everybody else, but now I'm going to remind you uh, But it is life will survive. Yeah, I love that, too, and it is very interesting. It's, it's like a last sort of moment check to the power of Borgoth that yeah. the Howd and Near Knife, which is the Hill of Tears, there is a actually, I mean, it's, but it is still a sad and, and I mean, more, it's just, it's like a place out of an Edgar Allan Poe um, a poem. And there, and Ted Naismith does an amazing um, 
picture of it years uh, years later when the wife Rion, um, uh, the wife of Huor, comes to look for him and finds the hide in their knife, howled in their knife. Um, and uh, so I don't know if they're, it's going to pick it up, but let's. But here is. There you go. Yeah. Whoa. That's brutal. The bones. The birds. Is it green? It's hard to tell. Yeah, it is. It is green. It's hard. Yeah. I know it's hard to tell with this. It's like green gray. So it's kind of a green gray. Um, wow. And with the bones, the birds. It's it's pretty amazing painting of that place with all of its sorrow and power. So so yep, the elves have lost. This is the 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 the. Um, I won't say that the doom of Fionor is fully unfolded because we'll see that with the final fate of his sons but yeah, yeah um but but it is it is um their power has been broken in in middle earth the noldor are a, are a shattered remnant in fact all the elves not just the noldor the sindar and the green yeah. elves everyone the men have been destroyed and uh morgoth is as uh charlie sheen would say winning <laughs> oh, uh that's a deep cut <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, sorry for the twenty-year deep cut. There. That's all right. That's all right. All right. Well, let's close this out. Let's read that 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 interchange that you have up from Unfinished Tales. Uh, which, what's the story called in Unfinished Tales? Do you have that in front of you? It's called the words, um, and it's it's the words of Hurin and Morgoth, the Narn Ihin Hurin, the words of Hurin and Mor- Morgoth, um, <clears throat> and it is. It'll take me a minute, or a couple minutes to read. So. Apologies to those people that can't stand the sound of my voice because it's an actual dialogue between them. Just channel James Earl Jones. Um, that seem, so now, now I'm just going to screw it up. Thanks for telling me that. <laughs> so here we go. Unfinished Tales, but it is a fantastic quote. There's some, Huron gets in some real, some real, um, <clears throat> well, you'll see. Huron was brought before Morgoth. For Morgoth knew by his arts and his spies that Hurin had the friendship of the king of Gondolin, and he sought to daunt him with his eyes. But Hurin could not yet be daunted, and he defied Morgoth. Therefore Morgoth had him changed, chained and set in slow torment. But after a while he came to him and offered him his choice to go free whither he would, or to receive power and rank as the greatest of Morgoth's captains, if he would but reveal where Turgon had his stronghold and aught else that he knew of the king's counsels. But Hurin the Steadfast mocked him, saying, Blind are you, Morgoth Bauglir, and blind shall you ever be, seeing only the dark. You know not what rules the hearts of men, and if you knew, you could not give it. But a fool is he who accepts what Morgoth offers. You will take first the price, then withhold the promise, and I should get only death if I told you what you ask. By the way, I'm going to stop there for a second and say, it's a beautiful line. You know not what rules the hearts of men. And if you knew, you could not give it. Mm. This is a reference to the the actual fate of Iluvatar, like the power of Iluvatar in the hearts of men, that Morgoth can't give what men really desire, which is their creator. Mm. Hmm. So then Morgoth laughed and he said, death you may yet crave for me as a boon. Then he took Hurin to the Houd and Nearknife. So, by the way, it doesn't say this in the Silmarillion, but he takes Hurin to that hill that I that we saw the picture of. all of. the dead elves. Yes, and he puts him on top of the hill. As it was then new built, and the reek of death was upon it, 
And Morgoth set Hurin upon its top and bade him look west towards Heflum and think of his wife and his son and other kin. For they now dwell in my realm, said Morgoth, and they are at my mercy. You have none, answered Hurin, but you will not come at Turgon through them, for they do not know his secrets. Then wrath mastered Morgoth, and he said, Yet I may come at you and all your accursed house, and you shall be broken on my will, though you all be made of steel. And then he took up a long sword that lay there and broke it before the eyes of Hurin, and a splinter wounded his face, but Hurin did not blanch. Then Morgoth stretched out his long arm towards Dolomin, cursed Hurin and Morwen and their offspring, saying, Behold, the shadow of my thought shall lie upon them wherever they go, and my hate shall pursue them to the ends of the world. And by the way, we will see some of that, the effects of that curse in the next chapter. But Hurin said, You speak in vain, for you cannot see them nor govern them from afar, not while you keep this shape and desire still to be a king visible upon the earth. So that line's really interesting. He says, You cannot see them or govern them from afar, not while you keep this shape and desire still to be a king visible upon the earth. So he's actually referencing the fact that Morgoth is locked into his body and has lessened himself, even though he's a Valar, he's lessened himself it, it, by doing what he's done. And, and, um, and he's, Hurin is pointing out that Morgoth can't actually see um, Hurin's kin. Then Morgoth turned upon Hurin and he said, fool, little upon, among men, and they are the least of all that speak. Have you seen the Valar or measured the power of Manwe and Varda? Do you know the reach of their thought? Or do you think perhaps that their thought is upon you and that they may shield you from afar? I know not, said Hurin. Yet so it might be if they willed, for the elder king shall not be dethroned while Arda endures. You say it, said Morgoth. I am the elder king, Melkor, first and mightiest of the Valar, who was before the world and made it. The shadow of my purpose lies upon Arda, and all that is in it bends slowly and surely to my will. But upon all whom you love, my thought shall weigh as a cloud of doom, and it shall bring them down into darkness and despair. Wherever they go, evil shall arise. Whenever they speak, their words shall bring ill counsel. Whatsoever they do shall turn against them. They shall die without hope, cursing both life and death. But Hurin answered, Do you forget to whom you speak? Such things you spoke long ago to our fathers, but we escaped from your shadow. And now we have knowledge of you, for we have looked upon the faces that have seen the light and have heard the voices that have spoken with Manwe. Before Arda you were, but others also, and you did not make it. Neither are you the most mighty, for you spent your strength upon yourself and wasted it in your own emptiness. No more are you now than an escaped thrall of the Valar, and their chain still awaits you. Oh, that's an awesome. That's just an awesome line where he's, he's, I mean, he's, this is a man who is doomed and he's doomed to torment and maybe death, but just doomed. And he has the, the strength of will to not only defy Morgoth, but to point out all of his lies that he did not, that Mor despite Morgoth's claim, he, Morgoth did not create Arda. And, and that Morgoth is not even the most powerful of the Valar, for he wasted his strength upon himself and in, in his own emptiness. 
and that he's no, he calls him an escaped thrall of the Valar and that their chain still awaits you. It's awesome. You have learned the lessons of your masters by rote, said Morgoth, but such childish lore shall not help you. Now they are all fled away. This last I say to you, thrall Morgoth, said Hurin, and it comes not from the lore of the Eldar, but is put into my heart in this hour, which is a reference to Iluvatar. You are not the lord of men, and shall not be, though all Arda and Menel fall in your domain. Beyond the circles of the world, you shall not pursue those who refuse you. Beyond the circles of the world, I will not pursue them, said Morgoth, for beyond the circles of the world there is nothing, but within them they shall not escape me until they enter into nothing. So to go back to what Hurin says, he says, you're not the lord of men and shall not be, though all Arda and Menel fall under your dominion. Menel is just the word for the air, the regions of the air. So Arda is the earth and Menel is the air. Beyond the circles of the world, you shall not pursue those who refuse you. And Morgoth says, well, yeah, I won't because there's nothing beyond the circles of the world. But what actually Hurin has spoken there, beyond the circles of the world, you shall not pursue those who refuse you, is a prophecy, though Morgoth misses it. He doesn't understand it. But Huron has just spoken a prophecy about Melkor being Morgoth being chained into the timeless void, which is beyond the circles of the world. So his his fate, Morgoth's fate, is to be chained, um, at, at, ultimately to be chained in the timeless void, and that um, he will not be able to pursue those who refuse him. So anyway, there's more, but I would I would encourage everyone to go back, go and read the unfinished tales and the all of the. Um, it's just it's it's a gorgeous dialogue um, which for whatever reason christopher tolkien does not include in the uh, silmarillion this here is it kind of doesn't fit within the silmarillion as christopher tolkien wrote it uh it this is the best part of the tale that he wanted to tell and he, he would have expanded outside from this here you know he started from the inside and he moved to the outside of the, mm. rest of the story but in he, he had the outline uh in what we read in the silmarillion uh in chapter 20 there but this here, right? This is this is the establishing of those two main characters in this kind of like if 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 there was a story told of the near Nordiad from Hurin's perspective, like here we have his voice and what he's like, and to see that whole thing from that perspective would have been great. Exactly, and and it's what's beautiful and I love about it. It's not its beauty actually. Is it's is the power of the darkness and the despair here. This is that heroic warriors heroic end so even though he's captured and even though he will never escape there is no there is no escape for hurin nevertheless he speaks and defies yeah ultimate evil with his last voice yeah and, and that would be a fantastic ending to whatever um movie or tv series might might end with that if they have the rights to do so and they have the Woo. fiber yeah well, we'll see. I, I don't know. You know, nobody else can ever write like this today. I don't think we'll ever get anybody to, to, to capture this in a character outside of what Tolkien's written. So I kind of hope it just stays here and we don't have to see it <laughs> bastardized by anybody who's trying hard. I just I just keep hoping like somebody like it, in the I think we yeah. talked about this before it started. Right. So Tolkien's work, we're going to talk about this more in the in the uh, subscriber section. But, you know, Tolkien's work is is 20 years away from leaving the public entering the public domain rather. Mm -hmm. And so in 20 years, it's going to be okay. There's going to be, it's going to be the case that 
that um, people can, I just keep hoping someone can take it and actually do it justice by using Tolkien's own words. I mean, what better way to do it? I mean, that's what Jackson yeah. did anyway. And yeah. so much of it, not all, but so much of what he wrote in the movies is he had a habit of actually going to the books, doing what back to the books, back to the books, back to the books, which is all <laughs> it turns out was complete baloney when it came to rings of power. But, but Jackson actually did that a lot, not, not everywhere, but right. he did, right. he did that a lot. And if someone were to take and make the fall of the Noldor into a season I mean, it would make a great season of a of a TV series, yeah. um, or five seasons, or whatever. <laughs> um, it, it, it could finish with something like this. It could finish with that dialogue between Hurin and because this is the end of the the Noldor's power is broken in Middle Earth. I mean, there's more to tell, of course. As we, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you had a couple. You'd have even a couple of other choices, like if you wanted to say maybe it ends with the defeat of Glaurung, right? Which we'll see later. Uh, sorry to spoil it for you, everybody. Like that might be another point. That, that that's true. In, that, that this true. would be the end of one of the seasons, and then the end of the. There season. are so many way, seasons oh, that you could yeah. get out of this if All someone right. actually got the. We have made to... this go way too long. <laughs> my goal when we started this podcast was to be like 30 to 45 minutes and we're approaching like an hour and sorry the last years. 10 minutes were my no fault. that's okay hey maybe we'll just cut it out and put in the extended podcast but that's okay. what i mean anyway we're going to uh, we're going to move into that so i'm going to say if you like talking uh you should subscribe and get to the extended po- t- podcast because we're going to talk some more about this sort of stuff uh we're going to talk about the <laughs> james cameron talking tolkien we're talking about upcoming middle earth games we're going to look at like you know, what, what, what do we do with Tolkien getting into the public domain and people changing, making him less problematic? Uh, so, yeah. And then some other questions from some of our, uh, some of our patrons, which you can get if you go to theonering.com slash patron. You can join us in Discord um, and uh, where we have monthly, you know, video chats. We all get together and talk about the, what we've read, uh, life, and uh, the, the struggles, the evil in our own lives that we have to deal with. I don't know what we talk about. We talk about a bunch of stuff, but a lot of the, what we read is, uh, is dealt with in there, and it's really a lot of fun to, to see everybody in person and have a you know, face-to-face chat. So join us there, theonery.com slash patron, or click the, uh, it's way over there, I think, click the uh, join button next to the subscribe button, and you can also get access through Discord through a uh, YouTube membership, which, you know, it's a lot easier, I guess, because you don't have to put in your credit card again if you've ever used it once. But hey, go do that if you like Tolkien. <laughs> so we're going to jump into our extended podcast. So thanks for joining us. And as Michael likes to say, you freeloaders, we'll see you Bye-bye, next week. Bye-bye, freeloaders.